Refuel with New Synergy Gasoline. Developed in the same ExxonMobil research lab as F1 Fuels, New Synergy Gasoline has been through and passed some of the most stringent tests ever developed, making it Exxon and Mobil's most tested fuel ever. Synergy Gasoline is engineered with seven key ingredients, including dual detergents to help keep your engine cleaner. New Synergy Gasoline, only available at Exxon and Mobil. Energy lives here. Visit exxon.com, that's exxon.com, or mobile.com, that's mobil.com, for more information. Hello and welcome to the Ringer MLB Show. My name is Ben Lindbergh and I'm a staff writer for TheRinger.com. We got the Tim Tebow talk out of our system on Tuesday, which means we can get back to business today. Later in the show, I'll be talking to Indians manager Terry Francona about how and why he has used baseball's biggest bullpen weapon, Andrew Miller, the way he has since Cleveland acquired Miller at the trade deadline. Miller's been hopping all over the late innings from the 6th through the 9th. He's not concerned about saves. The Indians are just using him whenever they think he would do the most to help them win. It's a rejection of the idea that a closer can only pitch in the ninth inning for three outs at one time to throw back to the legacy of the fireman relievers who would come in whenever the high leverage scenario occurred. So I wrote something about this for our website, theringer.com, this week. And for that piece, I talked to Terry Francona, and I thought his responses were too interesting to keep to myself. So you'll hear that conversation in a second segment later in the show. But first, we have some even more vital even more revealing bullpen-related territory to tread. We have had general managers on this show. We've had scouts on this show. We have a manager coming up later in this episode, and some of you listening probably think it would be pretty great to get those jobs, and maybe it would be. But maybe that's a misconception, because when I talk to people in the game, they tell me with surprising frequency that the best job in baseball, certainly one of the best jobs in baseball, is big league bullpen catcher. And so... I wanted to test this assertion by bringing on an actual big league bullpen catcher. In this case, Justin Hatcher, who goes by Hatch. He's the Padres bullpen catcher, former minor league catcher for the Rangers and Padres. Hatch, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, so you are in your ninth year as Padres bullpen catcher, so you're well qualified to discuss this job. So I have many questions, but I'll start with this one. You just got back from a game that didn't go the Padres' way, so the starter went three innings. You ended up using four relievers. So how many pitches do you think you caught in this game, during this game, or, or during this day? Let's see. Uh, you know, so I caught a bullpen prior to the game, obviously. Yeah. Um, Perdomo had a side, so I'd say he probably threw, I don't know, 35, 40 pitches. Mm-hmm. And then you have, you know, you go out with the relievers. We usually go out about 3.30 and uh, play catch with those guys. You know, some of them want to throw flat grounds, you know, just get a little touch and feel, um, especially if they haven't thrown in the last few days. They like to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you long toss with a couple guys. Uh, some guys like to stretch it out when other guys don't want to stretch it out that day because they've been up a lot throwing, you know, the last few days. So, you know, it just kind of varies on day to day. But a game like tonight uh, with Clemens coming out as early as he did, I think we warmed up four guys and I'd say roughly you know obviously just depends on how fast they're trying to get them into the game I'd say roughly each guy throws between 20 about 20 pitches probably Mm -hmm. and some if they know they're going in if they got a uh, you know plenty of time in between innings to warm up then they might get up to 25 pitches but those relievers they're pretty good they uh you know, especially the ones that have been down there they know they got to save their bullets um you know because you might have to go three days in a row you know so you try to limit your your warm-up pitches, just get to where you feel comfortable. Because down there, you're not really 
for me, most relievers, they're not really working on trying to hit spots and do all that stuff. They're they're focused on just getting their arm loose so they can get in the game, you know? Right. Okay, so you were drafted in 2003. You played for five years. How did the bullpen catcher conversion take place? What, what was that conversation like? Well, I was uh, in big league camp in 2007 um, with the Padres and uh, as a player and got to know Buddy Black pretty well and, and his coaching staff. And um, that year I was in double-A, triple-A, and it was getting towards the end of the season. And uh, our minor league coordinator, uh, Grady Fuson at the time, uh, was like, you know, there, our bullpen catcher was uh, Ben Reisinger at the time. They were like, Hatch, I don't think he's going to come back. And, and there's been mentions of maybe you taking that role. You know, so going in the offseason, I had already kind of been talked to about it. Buddy Black called me that offseason and personally, you know, was like, hey, if you feel like you're ready to hang up your spikes and you want to move over into the kind of the coaching side of things, you know, we got a position on our on our staff and it'd be bullpen catcher, you know, but he said, you got to really make sure that you don't want to keep playing because, you know, once you hang them up, that's it. Right. That took me a little bit, you know, I wasn't sure at that point whether I was ready to, to hang them up or not, but I knew that um, I've, always wanted, I've always wanted to be in the big leagues. So I knew this was a guaranteed shot for me to get to where I wanted to be. It might not be how I always dreamed up of getting to the big leagues, but it was definitely a spot for me to take and get to see what it's like at this level. Mm -hmm. And is that pretty much the only route you can take to this job? Are there other ways to become a bullpen catcher other than being a you know well-liked, well-respected minor league catcher and, and then just graduating to that job? I think that's the majority of all the ones that I've I've been around. They either coached in the minor leagues or were players in the minor leagues. Usually that you have a catcher's background a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, I know there are some that were infielders, you know, that convert over and do it. But I would say I don't know many that weren't involved in, in minor league baseball that are, are bullpen catchers at the big league level. So you're 36 now. What is the physical prime for a, a bullpen catcher? What's the aging curve look like? How long can you do that job? I mean, I see you see some. Um, there's one White Sox chief. I don't know how old he is. He's got to be close to I mean, he's got to be in his 50s, maybe. Uh -huh. um, the Giants had one great guy. He's their first base coach now. He was, I mean, he had to be in his 50s as well. Uh -huh. um, and then Flippo for the Dodgers, I got to say he's in his mid-40s. mid, mid -40s. But I can tell you this, um, it definitely takes a toll on you. You know, just the constant throwing, long toss, squatting up and down. I feel it at 36, so I know those guys have to be pretty wore out. Yeah. And I, I was going to ask you kind of about the typical career progression. I mean, if this is a great job, then maybe you just want to do this job as long as you can. But is there a typical arc where you go from bullpen catcher to, say, bullpen coach or scouting or, or some other job? You know, I've been offered, you know, the opportunity to scout and go to the minor leagues. And those are definitely always uh, uh, alleys you can take if you want. Um, I like to be on the field with the guys. I would, at some point, I got to uh, be our bullpen coach for about three months back when Daryl Ackerfels, our bullpen coach, was sick with pancreatic cancer. So I got to do that for about three months. And I, and I enjoyed it. It was fun. Um, so definitely, if that, if that opportunity arose, that would be definitely something I'd be interested in. I got a pretty unique situation where I'm at because we don't have a catching coach. It's me. I'm the one that gets to do all, um, all the catching stuff with our catchers. So 
I get to do a lot of video stuff with our, our catchers and help them out a lot, which gives me something else to do besides just catching the bullpen. Yeah, I was going to ask you that too, because from what I've heard and read, it, it seems like a lot of bullpen catchers do double duty or triple duty. You know, they're throwing right. BP, they're getting the, the baseballs ready for the game. So besides catching the, the pitchers in game and, you know, working with the catchers, what's your, your typical day look like or, or what else is involved in the job? Um, I do that. I rub up baseballs. Uh, you know, I usually throw, uh, usually I throw bat in practice every day, first group, you know, and then just, uh, doing a little scouting. I do a little scouting stuff, uh, advanced scouting for the series before, you know, doing, uh, I just kind of go over the other team's catchers and, you know, kind of write notes down for our manager. So he has them during the game, kind of on how they throw, how they block, you know, all the stuff like that. Besides that, that's about it, you know, and then just get these guys, get those bullpen guys ready for the game. And so, you know, you're you're in uniform during the game, you're you're doing baseball activities during the game, but you're not an active player and you're kind of a coach instructor, but you know, not exactly the same as the other members of the coaching staff. So how does it feel to be a, a bullpen catcher? Do you kind of think of yourself more as a player or a coach, or is it just sort of a, a gray area in between? How do you interact with those two groups? I think you know, when I first got the job being, I mean, I think I was 27 years old, 28 years old. At that point, I definitely felt more as a, as a player, I guess. You know, I wasn't a player, but I was the same age as the majority of them. You know, so I was kind of on both sides of the fence, I guess. I was interacting uh, with the players, uh, you know, because I'd ride the airplane. I'd sit the back with all the guys and hang out and, and do all that stuff. And as I progressed and got older, you know, uh, Buddy Black, he... uh said hatch i want you to come up and sit sit with the coaches and you know first class with us and and start being more of a part of that you know at some point you got to separate yourself a little bit from the players and, and age does that naturally you know as you get older these guys keep getting younger you, you just you figure out you don't have as much in common with them as as they get younger and you get older you know what i mean yeah so it, it kind of getting older does just kind of separate it for you but i would say now at the age i am and been here as long as i have I would say definitely now I feel more of a, you know, more of a coach than a, than a player for sure. So if you're on the road, will you socialize more with one or the other now? I mean, I guess you've you've been kind of a family man since you've been doing this job really, but right. you know, when you were younger, would you go out with oh, the yeah, players no. at times and Yeah, go out to dinner with the guys, you know, and then also hang out with the coaches a lot too, kind of back and forth, you know. Some of the times you got bullpen guys who are like, "Hey, take us to dinner you know they want to take uh the bullpen catchers to dinner so we'll go to dinner with them you know but it's always i've kind of it's kind of been back and forth you know there's i'm pretty pretty close with everybody i feel like you know i get to work with the hitters throwing bat and practice with them you know talking to them about their swings a little bit here and there and then then you're with the bullpen guys and then you're also with the starting pitchers and then you're in meetings with the coaching staff so you know you kind of hit you kind of hit every 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 guy on the team for the most part Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of a, a delicate way to ask this. I, I don't want to ask you to publish your tax returns or anything, but could you give me kind of a, a ballpark idea? I mean, you've been doing this job for a while now, but a starting salary for a bullpen catcher, if this is your first year on the job, is this? I would, I think majority of them probably, if this is just a guess, I don't know. I would say between 30 and 30 and 50,000 probably, Uh huh. you know, but then you get a lot of perks, you get a lot of, um, you know, you get all the mill money, mm-hmm. you get uh, live-out money in the city you're in, mm-hmm. and then obviously, and, and, and it just, it always changes from team to team, but if you got 
you know, veteran guys, they take care of you. They Veteran pitchers and, and, and even hitters at times, you know, tip you for throwing bat in practice, tip you for warming up in the pens. You know, and you can make anywhere from, I mean, twenty to $50,000 in tips, you know. Uh-huh. So it usually depends on the team you're on um, and, you know, and kind of how uh, if you've got a lot of veteran guys that have made some money in this game. Yeah. I'd say the average bullpen catcher, you know, just starting out, he probably clear. He probably makes seventy, seventy thousand when you include everything after taxes and stuff. So it's it's not great, but it's. Uh, I mean, you get to call whatever ballpark you're at in the country your office and fly on big league charters and mm-hmm. and and go to big league dinners and, and it's a pretty good time. You get your own room on the road. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Nice hotels. That's not bad either. So no. if, if you're the player's age, as you were with many of the players when you started, and you know, you're making what a normal person in the world makes and you're right. spending all your time with multimillionaires or, you know, many of them are. Is there right. any kind of barrier between you because of that or does it really just melt away when you spend some time with them? Yeah, I don't think all these guys in, in baseball, I'd say a majority of them are, they're just kids, you know, they're just, just kids. We, we all did together. You know, you come up through the minor leagues playing, majority of you don't have any money unless you were just a top pick you know mm-hmm. and a lot of times even from there they didn't come for money so it's you don't even even know I mean the good thing is like Jake Peavy was my guy you know when I first signed me and him got a lot in common both southern hunters mm-hmm. and I mean he took great care of me I mean there's no telling how much money the guy spent on me for dinners and and to, you know just everything that went along with it you know yeah so those guys those guys get it they, they realize that hey you know, we're not blessed uh, to make the money that they make, but they understand the work that we put in and, and how hard we work every day. And it, and it's it's always about the players, uh, you know, for your bullpen catchers. We're always, I mean, in coaching in general, it's, the game's always about the players. So you're always doing whatever you can for them. And, and most of them get it and they take good care of you. It's never, never really an issue. Mm-hmm. And, you know, on, on a lot of teams, there's kind of uh, two different camps or cliques. The, the position players hang out with the position players. The pitchers hang out with the pitchers. And I assume that was kind of the case when you were playing and, and a full-time catcher. Has that changed at all now that you spend so much of your time with the pitchers in the bullpen? Do you kind of hang out with the, the pitchers? Are you closer to pitchers now than you were when you were a player? Uh, I don't know. I don't um, I'd say definitely those seven or eight bullpen guys you get to know a lot more because, I mean, you spend however many hours a day with them down there, you know? Yeah. But still, you know, for me, uh, over the years, it's not always pitchers. It's kind of back and forth. It's more of whatever you got in common with certain guys on the team. But you're, you're pretty correct on that. I would say I definitely I definitely spend more time with the pitchers because I'm in the bullpen all the time. And if we do dinners, it's usually bullpen dinners, and, and it's just the bullpen guys go, so... Mm-hmm. I'd say probably probably right. I'd probably spend more time with those guys. And do bullpen catchers on different teams compare notes? Is there a, a bullpen catcher community? No, I don't think so. No, I mean I'm friends with every all the ones on the other teams. You know, just you know when you see them, you just chit chat with them a little bit here and there. But no, it's we don't got a strong union like the players do. <laughs> <laughs> so when a pitcher warms up, is it purely about getting loose, getting warm, or is there a lot of other stuff going on there? You know, is he yeah. working on specific things? I think his first, I think up until you get your arm loose, you're just trying to get loose. You know what I mean? I mean, I'll set up in or out wherever they want me to sit, but I think the first, you know, 10 to 11, 12 throws is, is getting loose. Um, 
most of your guys have routines, you know, like they'll go four fastballs away to a right-hand hitter, four fastballs in, and go to a changeup a few pitches, and then slider. Most every guy kind of has a routine that they they do. But, you know, once they get loose, and if you see something, you know, you got our bullpen coach, Doug Bockler, standing back there. He's watching. If I see something, I'll say something. Um, but I usually won't say anything until I feel like they're loose, you know. And when you sometimes when you're just trying to get your arm going, your your mechanics can get a little off, you know. So you just got to wait till they get completely loose with their arm and, and are kind of slowing down and, and slowing the game down at that point to get ready to go in there. And if you see something, you, you know, all our guys are great. They want to know. They want feedback. You know, if I'm pulling off it, did you see something that I'm doing different than normal? Because, you know, when you warm up guys uh, as much as, as we do, you know when they're good and when they're bad, you can see what they're doing. So it's, you know, it's pretty easy for us to see what's going on. And do you find that the stuff in the bullpen correlates to the stuff in the game? Or is it just, you know, you, you see something in the pen and then a guy will go out to the mound and it'll just be a, a completely different person out there? I don't. Some people think it correlates. I don't. I think. I've seen guys be nails in the pen and give it up in the game. I've seen guys be terrible in the pen and deal in the game. You know, like, it's you so many games and so many variables that go into it. I, I don't personally feel like, hey, if this guy's not warming up great, he's not going to be great out there. Mm-hmm. Um, you do see it happen, but like I said, you do see it the complete opposite way too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And especially, um, I mean, your older, your older veteran bullpen guys that have been around, you know, you know what they got. Now, with a young kid just coming up, you know, he might be a little erratic out down there, and, and and usually it's just it's nerves, you know, like just getting used to being where you've always wanted to be your whole career, get to the big leagues. So those guys, you know, that they're nervous and likely so. I think everybody everybody is, you know, when they first come up. And so sometimes you see those guys get a little erratic down there, and you just try to slow them down, you know, get them ready to go in. And are there confidence issues? Like if a if a guy's not feeling a particular pitch in his bullpen, will he not bring it out to the mound with him? Do you see that happen where that's kind of where you test and see whether you have a feel for that pitch on that day? Not really. I mean, you got guys, I got guys that warm up down there that'll throw your, your relievers. They'll throw their third pitch in the bullpen just to use it um, to, you know, see how it is that day. And especially if you're a back, if you're a back end bullpen guy, you're usually coming in in a, in a really clutch situation, you know, where you don't really have opportunities to uh, to throw your third best pitch very often. You know what I mean? Yeah. So very rarely they go with the pitches that that they always, you know, a lot of guys are fastball slider and they have a changeup as their third pitch. They'll throw it warming up, but very rarely do you see them break it out in the game. Actually, uh-huh. just you just don't want to get beat with your you know with your third pitch out there and game on the line. Right. And does anyone down there keep track of how often guys get up? Do you track that over a, a full season level, not just how many times they pitch, but how many times they warm up and sit down again? Absolutely. Yeah, that's all tracked. Uh-huh. Yep. Is that your job or someone else's job? No, that's the bullpen. Uh, bullpen. Uh, so the bullpen coach does that. Uh-huh. He's got a board with their names on it, how many times they get up. And uh, so it all goes into a big chart um, that we all keep that we keep. Uh huh. And how does that weigh into the decision of whether to use a guy on a given day? Do you count like a warm up? You know, does that count as half a, an actual appearance or something? Is there a formula? Well, yeah, I think I think they. You know, if you get up, if you get up twice and don't get in, a lot of times you're not. You'll get somebody else up. 
Um, uh-huh. Usually, if you get up warm up twice, you're going in right there that next that time that next time. But yeah, it definitely it goes into it, and, and then it also they keep track of how many pitches they throw when they warm up. You know, uh-huh. um, like I said, most of our guys been around. They know they know kind of how to save bullets. Yeah. So they don't wait don't don't waste their bullets down there too often. And who've been the best bullpen conversationalists during your uh, almost ten years with the Padres? That's tough. I've had a lot of a lot of good a lot of fun guys down there to talk to. Uh you know, Trevor Hoffman obviously was especially like he would usually come down the first I wanna say two or three innings and then he would head back in and get ready for, you know, in case he was going to close the game. Uh-huh. So he was always fun to chit-chat with. You know, someone had been around that long and, and knew the game as well as he did. It was, he was fun to chit-chat with. But we've had some we've had some good ones. Uh, you know, Luke Gregerson, Clay Meredith, Heath Bell, Mike Adams. And the guys we got down there now, I mean, we got some good. We got a good group down there that, you know, we sit and talk, you know, usually for the first three or four innings, you know, talk about everything in the world, you know, just to, to pass time and, and stuff, and then they got those guys start locking it in, you know, as the game goes on from there. But you know, with uh, Mauer and Hand, and we got we got Quack and Bush, we got some good guys down there that are fun to talk to. You know, uh, Griffin Benedict's our other bullpen catcher, and and he's he's great, he's great down there. And our bullpen coach Doug Bockler, you know, he was a big league reliever for a while, so he's he's always got some good stories to tell from back in his his era. Mm-hmm. And is there a, a bullpen catcher hierarchy based on seniority or something? Is there, you know, the the younger bullpen catcher gets the the tasks you don't want to do anymore? How do you split up the responsibilities? Not too much. Years past, you know, it was kind of like he would catch the uh, if there if we double barreled, he would get the other guy. Uh-huh. Um, but this year, we kind of just like I said, just getting older. We kind of split it up. I'll, I think I have three or four guys, and he has three or four guys, and we just we warm up those same guys every night. So we kind of get used to them. They get used to us, and we know their routines. And it's been way easier on, on me for sure, cutting down some of the work, you know, over the years. But we, I mean, no, there's no really, I mean, he, he throws bat in practice as well every day. We try to do everything uh, together. I don't ever try to dish more on him than, than I would take myself. I, I enjoy I enjoy working hard and, and doing and doing you know, just as much as anybody. Mm-hmm. And presumably you have to warm up in some way before you can be ready to warm up the pitchers. So how and when do you get ready? Do you have to anticipate when the call is going to come and, and get ready before you know a pitcher will have to be prepared? Yeah, like you kind of, you watch the game, you can tell what's going on, how the starter's doing, where his pitch count is, how is, have his innings been stressful, you know, um, when he's coming up to hit, you know, coming up to hit in the next few innings. Um, so usually I'll throw my shin guards on, usually about the fourth inning or so, fourth or fifth, depending on how the game's going. Um, and there's times where I don't even put shin guards on. I'll just grab my mask and glove and, and warm them up there. But I really don't do a whole lot of stretching or, or anything anymore. I, I get to the field early and get all my, my stuff done before the before the, the, the day starts. But um, I stay pretty loose, I guess. And when you got to San Diego, the, the bullpens on those teams were really, really strong. And, you know, some of the, the guys that Kevin Towers picked up before they were big names then went on to close. And you mentioned some of them, Heath Bell and Gregerson and, you know, guys like Mujica. And yeah. So I'm curious from your perspective whether you believe there's some special aura that uh, a closer has to have, you know, since you've 
seen these guys up close who were setup men for years and were kind of locked into that role. And then a lot of them did eventually get the chance to, to close and, and did just fine. So how do you feel about that idea that there is a certain mentality that you have to have? I definitely feel like there's a, there's definitely a mentality that you got to have to to be a closer for sure. Um, and you can you can see it warming up those guys. Just the uh, like Craig Kimbrell, uh, Trevor Hoffman, Houston Street, Luke Gregerson, Heath Bell. Not only do they have plus stuff, but I feel like in their minds before they even get out there, they've already uh, they've already been over in their minds how they're going to get you out and, and and see themselves getting you out. Just their confidence warming up um, and their mannerisms and and stuff like that, just the way they carry themselves, you can definitely see why they're successful and, and, and the preparation that those guys put in, you know, um, you know, watching video on some of the hitter on some of the hitters um, that we're going to be facing and, and kind of, and, and those guys usually go with their strengths, you know what I mean? And they feel like that their strengths are better than your strength as hitters. And if they execute their pitches, they're going to get you out. But it, I've definitely had the opportunity to warm up some really great pitchers and you definitely can see why they're good just because, I mean, just their presence alone definitely separates them. So maybe one of the reasons that people say bullpen catcher is such a great job is that with a lot of coaches or managers, people say you're you're hired to be fired. You know you're going to get fired at some point. And, you know, whether it's because of the team's results or just because whoever hired you gets fired and the new person brings in new people. How does a bullpen catcher lose his job? Because, you know, you've been there through ownership changes, managerial changes, GM changes, coaching changes. You've been the constant. So how do you lose that job? Is there a, a lot of job security relative to the, the typical baseball job? Um, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess there's probably obviously a little more job security uh, than, you know, a manager or, or something like that because, you know, everything's magnified watching those guys. Um, I guess the way you lose your job is if uh, you're not doing the things you're supposed to be doing, you know, showing up to work, being there for the guys, ready to go every day. Um, I feel like attitude and, and what you bring to the park every day, a smile, smile on your face, uh, energy. Uh, I think through the course of 162 games, I think that's one of the m- most important things that as a coaching staff you've got to bring every day is, uh, you know, just a – a good positive vibe energy to the field because it, it does it is a grind and you're going to go through rough patches and you're going to have problems off the field that you can't bring to the field because when you get to the field those guys need you to focus and be there for them and uh do whatever they need that day and if you're bringing a bad attitude and and lazy and, and not really wanting to it shows up and i think that's definitely one of the ways you can lose your job as a bullpen catcher is just not being there for the guys and having a bad attitude. All right. And so, as I said, you are a married man, you've got kids. So I, I want to make it clear that this question doesn't apply to you. But has a bullpen catcher, to your knowledge, ever been known to, let's say, pose as a player or if not impersonate a player, let's say, you know, maybe allow someone else to uh, assume that they're a player for the purposes right. of <laughs> perhaps, uh, you know, attracting a member of the opposite sex, let's say. Uh, yeah. You're in uniform, you're on the field, you know, the the old baseball player trick of sending your phone number out on a ball to someone who catches your eye in the stands. Does a, right. can a bullpen catcher get away with that? Uh, yeah, I, I don't see why not. You got a, <laughs> you got a uniform on, you got a jersey. Yeah. Um, I'd say majority of your fans aren't, aren't the most educated on who's who. Uh-huh. So they see you on a field in a, in a uniform uh-huh. and 
guess if they find you somewhat attractive in a uniform, then I guess you got a chance. <laughs> right. So I guess that's a, a potential perk that you're yeah, not making no, the most of, but uh, maybe no some people are. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I know I would be if I was young and just got <laughs> to the big leagues and I was 21 years old, you know, not married with kids. That's definitely a, a bonus. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, uh, and I've I've got a listener named Luis who had a proposal that uh, essentially bullpen catchers be eligible to be used as a, a catcher of last resort in a game. So if a if a team uses all its catchers, let's say you know the backup gets hurt, there's no third string catcher, the bullpen catcher can come in and and he doesn't get to hit. And if his spot in the lineup comes up, it's just a just an automatic out and you move on. But the incentive would be that. You know, teams don't have to worry about protecting their catchers if they want to pinch hit for a catcher and they don't have a third catcher. They wouldn't have to worry about it because the the bullpen catcher is there if you absolutely need him. What do you think of of that rule change? I think it'd be awesome for us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to say you get to say you got in a major league game to catch would be awesome. Yeah. Um, but I doubt that will ever will ever happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Although then the competition might get pretty cutthroat. You might not be able to have the the 50-something bullpen catchers if there was a a chance that you might get into a game. That's true. That's absolutely (laughs) true. (laughs) All right. So our our mutual friend, John Baker, former podcast guest, put us in touch. And he told me that before I let you go, I should ask you about getting powerbombed through a table by Clayton Richard. Oh, yeah. Uh, (laughs) Me and Clayton, I call him Big Fella. Uh Um, This was like rookie dress-up night. Uh, San Francisco. We had like a little room that they they cleared out for us for all the guys to hang out, eat pizza, and all that good stuff. And you know, me and Clayton get to roughhousing, and uh, he's very—I don't know if you know Clayton at all, but he's a very large individual. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, we were doing—I was letting him do wrestle moves with me. He was picking me up, putting me over his head, and we just thought it—I guess he thought it'd be fun to power bomb me onto the table. And right onto the table, and the table split in half, and I fell between the table, and <laughs> it was good. I ended up being all right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the classic wrestling move, that the table has oh, yeah. to split in half. That's oh, how yeah. it works. It was, yeah, it, it, was, it was fun. As long, you know, I mean, I didn't end up getting hurt or anything, so that was a bonus. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do bullpen catchers go on the DL often? Is there uh, no, often unavailable bullpen catcher? I don't know. I don't think there's such a thing as a DL for the bullpen catcher. <laughs> I think you go on the DL too long. I think you just get the boot and they bring someone else in. <laughs> yeah. You can't have an injury-prone bullpen catcher. You have to have Ironman in that role. That's right. There's no days off. There's no days off. You don't have the – you can't have sore arms or sore legs or you just got to grind through it. All right. So last question is just maybe I, I know the answer. You've been doing this job for nine years. You must like it. But – when people say bullpen catcher, one of the best jobs in the big leagues, you know, I, I guess anyone would want to be a player if they could, but let's take that off the table uh, of the other jobs. Is bullpen catcher one of the best jobs available? I would say definitely for sure. Uh, it's it's a great job. I mean, like I said, you're not going to get, you might not get rich being a bullpen catcher unless your team's really making a lot of runs in the playoffs, which I'm pretty sure those Giants bullpen catchers are millionaires from all their playoff runs right now. But yeah. but it's it's awesome. It's an awesome job, especially if you, for me, helping people is what I love to do, and I get to do that every day. And I get to do it uh, flying around the country and being big league ballparks, and I think it's uh, it's a pretty cool experience. And if nothing else, it's a good stepping stone into 
moving into uh, if you want to go down and, and, and manage or if you want to move into some role at the big league, you know, at the big league level later, if, if that's a possibility. But it's it's definitely a, a fun, fun job. It's never a dull moment, that's for sure. Yeah, sounds great. If I could catch, I'd be interested, but I can't catch. <laughs> so that's probably going to rule me out. Yeah. <laughs> catch and throw bat in practice. <laughs> right. All right. Well, I really appreciate your coming on and filling us in. I don't know how many people know about the background, the life of the bullpen catcher, but it sounds just as glamorous as I'd always imagined. So I appreciate the details. Great talking to you. Hey, you too, buddy. Anytime. Before we get to Terry Francona, I wanted to tell you about our sponsor, Blue Apron. Not all ingredients are created equal. Fresh, high-quality ingredients taste better and are better for you. So it's important to know where your food comes from. I've been cooking with Blue Apron for a few weeks now, and I absolutely love getting great meals delivered straight to my house. Every week, I'm always excited to try new foods I'd previously never thought to make. I'm already hooked. I'm like a baby bird in the nest, just going hungry till that delivery arrives. Except the food from Blue Apron is much more appetizing than what the baby bird gets. This week, I had seared salmon and miso soba noodle salad fairy tale eggplant and baby greens mm, even better than that curried catfish i've been telling you about for a couple weeks tasted just as good as it sounds blue apron has established partnerships with over 150 local farms fisheries and ranchers across the united states as a result its seafood is sourced sustainably its beef is raised humanely and they even use regenerative farming practices for their produce so check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash ringer MLB, you'll love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. That's blueapron.com slash ringer MLB. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. And while we're at it, I want to tell you once again about new Synergy Gasoline, Exxon and Mobil's most tested fuel ever. It's been through and passed some of the most stringent tests ever developed. Developed in the same ExxonMobil research lab as F1 Fuels, New Synergy Gasoline is engineered by chemists who understand the science behind keeping engines clean and know the complexities of modern car technology. That's why Synergy is formulated to keep modern fuel injectors clean while still working great on older engines. New Synergy is also engineered with seven key ingredients, each with its own unique function to help make Synergy Exxon and Mobil's best fuel ever, including dual detergents to help clean your engine and corrosion inhibitor, designed to help prevent rust from threatening your engine and its performance. So refuel with new Synergy gasoline today. Only available at the almost 11,000 Exxon and Mobil stations across the U.S. Energy lives here. Visit exxon.com, that's E-X-X-O-N.com, or mobile.com, that's M-O-B-I-L.com, for more information. All right, let's get back to baseball. All right, so my next guest is Terry Francona, manager of the 76 and 56, first place in the AL Central Cleveland Indians. This is Terry's 16th year as a manager, his fourth in Cleveland after picking up a couple titles during his eight years in Boston. And I wanted to talk to Terry because Andrew Miller, the reliever who's leading the major leagues in deserved run average this season, is doing something we haven't seen in a while. He's being used as a fireman. He's coming in not only in the ninth to lock down saves, but also in the sixth, in the seventh, in the eighth. He's not tied to any particular inning. He's He's not limited to pitching one inning at a time. It's very rare these days to find a pitcher as talented and successful as Miller, who isn't also designated as the guy who gets saves, which really limits a manager's ability to use him in creative ways. Not that most managers necessarily want to use those guys in creative ways, but Francona feels different, and there's great rejoicing among stat heads who are sick of seeing great relievers confined to save situations. Hey, Terry, how are you? Good, how are you? Great, thanks. Could you fill me in on the origins of the philosophy behind your usage of Andrew Miller? Has your thinking about the best way to deploy a dominant reliever evolved over the years? 
Well, no, not really. I mean, one is, I mean, I've always liked the idea of having a guy that you can kind of leverage. Right. You know, and, and, you know, like in Boston, we had Papelbon before he became a closer. Mm-hmm. Then we had Daniel Bard. And for even one season, we had Billy Wagner. You know, he came over in a trade. He's like, hey, use me wherever you want. He goes, I got enough saves. And then here, when I first came here, we had Cody Allen. But what happens is those guys evolve into being closers. And so, you know, then it's not like, you know, when Cody became a closer, it wasn't that he's not doing a good job as a closer, but you got to find somebody to you can leverage, which is not easy. You know, finding a guy that can come in against with bases loaded against a left or right hander and get a strikeout, that's hard. And, you know, to have the stuff, to have the, the you know, the command, everything, it's a, it's a, it's a lot. So, you know, when we got Miller, that was one of the most and, and enticing things about it is not only are you getting a really good pitcher, but you're getting a guy that is willing to pitch any inning, which in my opinion, makes him more valuable. And at what point in the decision to trade for him did the way in which he'd be used enter the discussion? Was it more like, okay, we got him now. Let's figure out how we want to use him or. No, no, no. I, I, I just, you know, I know I've known him from the past. I had him in, in Boston for a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, you know, we just knew that, you know, he wasn't tied into any, he just, you know, and again, he's, he's, he's realistic and he's, you know, he talks, he goes, Hey, I got my money. He, you know, he, he realizes he got paid and he just wants to pitch whenever he thinks he'll help the team. And, you know, I, I get it. Like, you know, with younger relievers, you know, they want to pitch at the end because they got a chance to make money. I, I get it, but you know, it's not always your best way to win. Right. And what do you think it is about him that, you know, whatever it is, the ego or, or the non-rigidity, what do you think it is that sets him apart from other guys who kind of become closers and then they don't want to go back? Yeah. Well, I don't, I don't, I actually don't know. I mean, again, he's, he signed a, what, a four-year deal for what, 30, whatever, 36 million, something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good money, but I, I, I don't want to speak to him on that because I don't know. I just know how he feels about it. You know I mean? We got guys here, Brian Shaw. I mean, he pitches any, any, you know, we're very fortunate. We we bounced Dan Otero all over the place. And, you know, the one thing you don't want to do is surprise the guys in the bullpen when the phone rings, but you also want to be able to use them when it makes the most sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like I could never understand when your starting pitcher is getting beat up a little bit, you know, you bring in the so-called long man or the mop-up guy, you know, with bases loaded. You know, I'd rather bring in somebody to see if we can get out of this and kind of take the temperature of the game, you know, see if maybe we can stay in this game. Right. You can use that guy later. <laughs> <laughs> right. If he were just as effective on a better by batter basis, but he'd only ever been used as a ninth inning guy, he was attached to that role. Do you think he would be in Cleveland right now? Do you think the team would have been willing to pay the same price to acquire him? Probably. Uh-huh. Probably. He's good. I mean, getting a good pitchers, you know, he's good regardless. I just think this makes him even better. Right. You can, he can impact the game more this way. And I think he understands that. Over the course of a season, how much do you think it matters? Say you have two pitchers with the same inning per inning performance, but the one on team A comes in exclusively in save situations. The one on team B comes in whenever the high leverage scenario occurs. Oh, I don't know that. I don't know that. <laughs> do you want to ballpark? You see, one, you can't, just, you can't just bring guys in in high leverage situations. See, I think that's a little bit of a, like a misnomer. Um, uh-huh. You know, you hear guys say, well, you know, from the sixth inning on, you should have your best pitcher in the leverage situations. Well, that's, that's not realistic. I mean, one, 
the situation arises, okay, you have to have your guy hot. Well, then if somebody gets into a double play or say somebody gets a hit, that situation goes away. Well, now you've warmed a guy up. And so it could happen every inning. It could happen in the sixth inning, it could happen in the seventh inning, it could happen in the eighth inning. And that would probably last about four days before a guy got hurt. Uh-huh. So it just it's just not realistic. You know, even, you know, the way we use Andrew, there's going to be a game where we have him warmed up in the sixth and something goes awry. And we're going to have, you know, arguably our best pitcher coming in in a situation where we're down a run. And it's not people are going to be like, what, what are you doing? That's the that's the fallout that can happen. And I know it'll happen at some point, but it's, I think, in my opinion, it's worth having him ready to impact the game the most times, the, the, the most amount you can mm-hmm. without, again, without, and I tell these guys that, hey, when you warm up, you're coming in the game. We're not going to get them up, down, up, down. Even if the situation changes a little bit, I'm going to keep the same guy so they don't throw so much. And so when it is a tight game and you're approaching those middle innings, at what point are you considering using him? What factors are you taking into account? What are you looking at? Well, there's so there's many factors. I mean, you know, depends on how the starting pitcher's doing, who's coming up for them, who's available in our bullpen. I mean, there's all kind of, you know, you know, there's got to be a, you know, I care more about probably who's the, the first guy they're facing and probably then after that, it's how, okay, how do we exit this inning? You know, if a guy has a problem, how do we get out of this inning? And, you know, so you want to make sure that you have a, an, a, a, play, a way to finish the inning. And so you look at your guys in the bullpen and you always want to have somebody out there that can finish your inning. And does having that ability to bring in maybe your best bullpen weapon whenever you want make your job during games easier or harder? On on the one hand, you have this great card you can play, but on the other hand, playing that card can be complicated. Yeah, that's a good question. I think think you're open yourself up to be second-guessed by bringing somebody in early. Yeah. But I'm okay with that because I know down deep... You know, it's putting us in the best position to win, mm-hmm. and I'm okay with that. I'd rather, I'd rather, I don't know, you never want to lose, but I'd rather lose. I, I hate waiting for the ninth inning. I never did understand that. You know, you wait around, wait around, and you lose the game in the eighth. Well, wait a minute. That was, that might have been the most important inning of the game. So, you know, I've, I've always, and our guys know it, you know, you know, we don't, you know, we don't want to, not shy away from a situation, but, you know, not use our best pitchers when the game's on the line. That just doesn't make any sense to me. And does having 15 plus years as a manager under your belt and and knowing that maybe your front office is sort of philosophically aligned with you make that call easier? You know, if you were a a rookie manager who's maybe trying to to prove himself, is it just as easy to to make that kind of call where you could get second guessed? You know what? I don't know. I, I never really worried too much about the second guessing. I mean, I, I know you kind of evolve over the years and you certainly learn, but I mean, I, I, I've always been like, you know, I do what I think's right. And I never wake up in the morning to run to see how I'm being perceived. You know, that's not a healthy way to, to do anything. Um, you know, I do think the years of, of, you know, that you manage, I think it certainly helps, but you're still earning your stripes every day and you communicate with guys. And, and that's still the biggest thing. If you communicate, things work. When you don't communicate, they have a chance of getting fouled up. I mean, Cody Allen and I this summer, he came to me one day early in the year. And it was something about the way I was using him. I'd sent him out for the second inning one time and and we talked about it. And because of that conversation, 
I ended up calling like three or four of the pitchers in, and I just told them, I said, hey, you know, we're we're going on four years now. I said, our communication has to be an advantage for us. And that came about because Cody had said something to me, and it really helped. So, you know, you continue to try to learn. And since Miller arrived, have you had to put in extra time kind of maintaining those lines of communication with your various pitchers? No, no, the guys are good. Our, our bullpen is in my opinion, one of the funnest bullpens to work with because they, they want to pitch and mm-hmm. they don't like to not be available. And, and that's the, you know, they, they know how we feel. It's a fine line. You want your guys available, but you don't want to have them too much because once you do too much, sometimes you can't go back. So yeah. they're really honest with us and it really helps me a lot. All right. And, and lastly, do you think there's a chance that this Francona Miller model catches on across the league and every team has a guy like this five, 10 years down the road? Well, see, I don't think that, see, I don't think we're breaking any ground here. I think, I mean, I mean, I think that most teams like to have a guy that like, give me, I'll give you an example. Like the, the Royals the last couple of years, they didn't need this guy. Right. They had one in every inning. <laughs> I mean, you know I mean? They didn't have, they just, you know, they were so good that, hey, give me your inning and stay out of the way. You know, mm-hmm. that's that doesn't happen very often. And guys like Andrew Miller don't come around very often. If, you know, if everybody could could have a guy like this, they would. But there's not too many around in the game that are as good as him. Right. Well, you wonder whether at some point, you know, if there's some big October moment where he comes in in the sixth inning in a big stage and shuts down a team, whether that I kind of thing does. becomes influential or, you know, maybe young pitchers don't get as married to a, a particular role as they have been for some time now. Well, but again, it comes back to finances too, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't blame them. You know, if you get saves, you get money and you know, that's what guys, you know, they're, they love the game, but I, you know, I get it. So it's, it's our responsibility to find more good pitchers. So we can do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, or, or change the way that they're rewarded in their contracts. Yes, right. If Which would players probably see that help. teams value yeah, this. I would think that that would help managers a ton. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, Terry, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. All right. You're welcome. Good luck. All right. So we will wrap this up here. We'll be back with new episodes of the Ringer MLB show next week. So enjoy your long Labor Day weekends. Thanks for listening. And may you all be big league bullpen catchers. Talk to you next time.